0: Coming up... I send people checks, and instead of being like, thank you very much, Mr. Trump, or Trump did a good job, everyone say, who got it, who got it, who got it? And you make me look very bad. Is the philanthropy of the rich a substitute for democratically controlled government action? Isn't the
1: society in which literature and the arts need to depend on philanthropy a sick one?
0: If I had a million dollars... If I- should we let the rich decide our social priorities? Isn't it a disgrace to die wealthy? I don't want your charity. I want your tax dollars. Our
1: guest is Bruce Sievers from the Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society at Stanford.
0: I'd be rich. The Philanthropy Trap.
1: Coming up on Philosophy Talk.
0: Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything,
1: except your intelligence. Bonjour, I'm John Perry, coming to you today from Paris, the City of Lights. I'm here giving some lectures about philosophy at the Institut jean Nicole,
0: And I'm Ken Taylor, and I'm stuck back here stateside, but in the lovely studios of KALW San Francisco.
1: We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken teaches philosophy and I did for about 40 years.
0: Now you're off globe trotting, John. And today mm-hmm. we're thinking about the philanthropy trap.
1: People tend to think of philanthropy as an absolute good.
0: But there's a downside that they seldom pay attention to. Oh, come on. Downside? What downside could there possibly be to people voluntarily giving to charitable causes? Surely that's something we ought to encourage, something we need more of, not less of. Well... When it, the giving comes from the ultra-wealthy fat cats
1: like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, they're getting tax savings uh, in exchange for the right to set up huge foundations that decide what's important
0: and what's not important. What would you prefer that they do with their money, John? Spend it on fast cars and fancy yachts and meals in the, on the, on the Seine or something?
1: Oh, well, contributions to philosophy talk wouldn't be a bad idea. But anyway, why do the super wealthy get to decide what the world needs? How
0: did they become experts on the public good? Well, John, I get your point, but like it or not, we're in a capitalist society. Great inequalities of wealth. Money equals power. And uh, when you've got money, you can influence all sorts of things that regular Joe Smoles like you and me can't. That's kind of the way the world works, and philanthropy helps us to make the best of a bad world. Yeah, but what you're describing
1: is fundamentally undemocratic. The wealthy should not have a greater say in
0: what counts as the public good. Or how the public policy is shaped than anyone else. You know, it may not be it may, may not be democratic, but given capitalism and given these great inequalities of wealth, I still want you to answer my question. Given that there are people who are super rich and we're not going to be able to make them unsuper rich, isn't it better that they donate some of their wealth rather than spend it all selfishly on themselves and their families? Oh, don't
1: roll over and play dead. I reject your binary choice. We can do some things. We can make it better. There are other possibilities, you know. Well, enlighten me, oh wise one. Well, how about these great tax breaks? These foundations and gifts are tax-exempt. That means we pay more taxes or we get less services than we would if those guys paid taxes on these things. If they actually taxed the super wealthy more, we could use that money to do good in the world as decided by the democratic majority or the small d, you know, the the people. Instead of the 1% dictating what counts as the public good, it would be decided in a democratic way by all of us.
0: Well, yeah, right. We the people. We have so much power in deciding how our taxes are actually spent. Come on, John. You're living in a dream Mm. world.
1: Well, we've got a representative democracy. It's not perfect, but taxing the rich and pooling their money to tackle major social problems... There's surely a better alternative than simply letting the one percent decide what's important and what's not.
0: Come on, I'm going to put, a, I'm going to give you a real choice. Do you really think the world would be better without any charitable organizations? I mean, come on, where would we be without the Gates Foundation or the Clinton Global Initiative? They're actually doing great work in the world. They're tackling problems that governments don't seem to have the will to tackle.
1: Well, you say governments don't have the will to tackle these problems. They certainly often lack the money. And their efforts are obstructed at every turn by right-wing ideologues who think that if the market doesn't provide social goods, government has no
0: business doing it either. Well, look, look, I'm going to grant you that the state certainly has a legitimate role in providing social goods, but unfortunately, you know, the state's not always the most efficient actor. I mean, governments can be mired in bureaucracy, they can be slow to adapt and change, and so... Inst- Instead of just leaving it to the market, I don't want to leave everything to the market. Instead of just leaving it to the market forces to tackle social problems, we need what's called civil society. And that's a lot of participation by successful entrepreneurs and other committed people. And it's not just their money that we need, but it's their innovative ideas, too. Innovative ideas. That's the Silicon Valley uh, trademark.
1: So we're going to have an app to solve homelessness. Yeah. you're just, you're just, you, you, you drinking the cooler. <laughs> Come cam- on,
0: John. You're just—that's just a just caricature of the tech industry, and it doesn't say anything about real philanthropy. You got to judge philanthropic efforts on a case-by-case basis, and you can't just dismiss the entire enterprise in one fell swoop.
1: Okay, so since uh, we can't dismiss the whole enterprise, we sent our roving philosophical reporter out, Shuka Kalantari, a roving philosophical reporter, out to find out if something called indie philanthropy might be a step in the right direction. She files this report.
2: The word philosophy means love of knowledge. The word philanthropy means love of people. But today philanthropy has come to mean giving away a lot of money to people. Philanthropic groups in the U.S. donated over $60 billion in 2015 alone. But not everybody is happy about that.
3: I actually am very hesitant about the the word philanthropist.
2: Neda Nobari is herself a philanthropist. I think uh, there is this image of entitlement. But Nobari says that's not her game. Once a high-ranking exec in the fashion world, she started the Neda Nobury Foundation to advocate for social and environmental justice. But her foundation does it a little differently. Most philanthropists pick a main pet cause and stick with it. The Susan G. Komen Foundation focuses on breast cancer. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation takes on public education. But Nobari focuses on everything from climate change to documentary film. We call it indie philanthropy
3: because In a sort of textbook philanthropic education, the ABC, they tell you not to be spread so thin and have so
2: many focus areas. But Nobari says life doesn't come in compartments. Society is interconnected. One thing always leads to another. So for example,
3: climate change, environmental challenges that we're facing will be the number one cause of migration and refugees around the world
2: in this century. Climate change leads to mass migration. Mass migration leads to refugees without resources. Lots of poor immigrants leads to xenophobia.
3: So how can I pick one topic and say, we're just going to do environmental causes and not pay attention to the other factors that can address the challenges
2: around social justice issues. Nobari's Indie Philanthropy Group is like traditional foundations in one way. They get a big tax break. In a
3: true democracy and in an ideal situation, people would pay their fair share of taxes, and those taxes would
2: be able to provide the social programs. Programs like free healthcare for all and free higher education. But Nobari insists we don't have a true democracy. A lot of our tax money goes to the military
3: and um, doesn't leave much uh, room for support for these type of programs. So that's where philanthropy fills the gap.
2: Nobari's philanthropy has ranged from fighting deforestation in Brazil to supporting an indie film about Afghanistan's first rock band coming to America.
3: When you think about an Afghani, you don't think You don't visualize a rock band. I think most people visualize a photo of some girl who has had acid sprayed on her face. The story offers a different image.
2: Neda Nobari says in an ideal world, there wouldn't be a need for philanthropy. But we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a capitalistic society. We're driven by profit. Nobari says as long as our government continues to reduce budgets for education, health care, and other social services, philanthropists like her will be there to pick up the slack and fill in the gaps. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari.
0: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on
2: iTunes Music. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk.